noticed. As you're driving through a small town, how many towns are named after the water tower? If you go through New Haven, the big old water tower that says New Haven, the name of the town, New Haven. If you go to Owensville, great big old water tower, Owensville. The name of the town, Owensville. Eureka, Pacific, coincidence? I don't think so. Have you ever noticed that? You say, Pastor, that is just plain silly. Well, my grandkids love the joke, by the way. But anyway, that's no sillier, or it's no more foolishness than for people to believe that they have to help God in purchasing their salvation. It's no more foolish than believing that you have to do something in, to, in, in order to add to God's ability to save you. Us thinking that we can add anything to the all-sufficiency of Christ is just plain foolishness. As a matter of fact, our works of righteousness will never be able to help us get into heaven. You know, the book of Titus says, not by works of righteousness. I mean, we're talking works of righteousness, but according to his mercy, he saves us. I think one of the most disturbing doctrines out there is the doctrine of you gotta. You think about it. That's a disturbing doctrine. The doctrine of you've gotta. You've gotta walk down the aisle. You've got to join a church. You've got to be water baptized. You've got to, you've got to, you've got to. In order to appease God, in order for him to say, hey, come on in, you've earned it. There is not a more frightening doctrine anywhere than the one that tells you that you have to do something to earn God's salvation to earn that redemption that he offers. That your works of righteousness aren't going to get you into heaven. People say, well, yeah, but they won't hurt get, getting you into heaven. Yeah, they will. Yes, they will. You ever thought about that? For those people who think that they have to do a little bit to kind of help solidify to assure that salvation? Do you, do you understand that their faith is not totally, completely, 100% in the one that can save them completely, totally, 100%? Whenever we believe that keeping a portion of the law, doing something that's going to make God happy with us, is going to help earn our way into heaven, I don't know of a more dangerous doctrine out there. The doctrine of you gotta. You gotta pray a sinner's prayer. You gotta 
join the church. You got to walk an aisle. You got to get dunked. All of those things that the church has built up in order to try to help pacify God when the truth of the matter is His only begotten Son has done that in total. Completeness. And the book that really bears that out is the book that I want us to look at this morning. The book of Galatians. Christ is, in the book of Galatians, He is our liberator. He is the one who sets us free. Not by works of righteousness that we've done, but by His mercy He saves us. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we are all in agreement, right, that salvation is by God's grace apart from any works. You can't do anything to make God love you any more. He already loves you with a perfect love in Christ. Now, in Ephesians 2, we just talked about five, for by grace are you saved. The next verse says, for we are his workmanship created unto good works. I'm not saying that we shouldn't do good works. I'm saying good works don't save you. Good works don't get you into heaven. Good works do not get you into heaven. We're saved by God's grace, but we're, crea- we're created as Christians, as those who have been made new creations, as those who have been redeemed, we are created to do good works. Hey, i got to tell you, the fact that He saved me from hell, the fact that I'm not going to burn for all eternity, the fact that I am going to spend eternity in heaven and not in hell is enough to make me want to work for Him. It makes me want to serve the one who loved me so much that he went to Calvary's cross in order to pay the debt that I owed. But I don't owe it anymore. I don't owe it anymore. In the book of Galatians, we find that he and he alone is the great liberator. He is the one who sets us free from all of our sin. Look with me to Galatians chapter 1. I I know I've shared in the past about a dear, sweet, precious, loving cousin that I have back in Alabama. And I, I love her dearly. She's like a sister. We were raised together. But sometimes her theology just sends me bonkers. And one of the things that she put on Facebook, and the problem is, if I try to correct her, and I'd never do it publicly, I'd never go, Judy, what are you thinking publicly? But when I try to write to her privately and say, hey, you need to rethink this, uh, it's not always well received. So um, I'm hoping she's not watching this, but that's okay. But one of the things that she put on Facebook this week, and again, I reiterate, I I love her dearly. I'm going to spend eternity in heaven with her. She's going to be there. She loves God. But this is so typical 
of what mainstream, mainline churches believe and hold to, and it just sends me up the wall because it's not biblical. One of the things that she wrote, the statement that she made was, when God forgives us, he cancels our debt. When God forgives us, he cancels our debt. And all the people that had that follower on Facebook, amen, amen. You preach it, Sister Judy, amen. This is fantastic. I want you to understand that when God forgave you, your sin debt was not canceled. Your sin debt was paid for. There was no cancellation. There was not a big old stack. And God looked at that big old stack, and, and he saw Derek McCoy, and he saw his sins, and he went, canceled. Oh, there's, you know, there's, you know, there's Virgie. Oh, Virgie. Oh, canceled. It wasn't canceled. He looked at, at that sin debt that we owed. It is stamped paid in full, paid in full, paid in full. It is not canceled. You have never been pardoned. Pardon means that God says, I'm just going to forget about their sins. I'm going to excuse their sin anyway. Your sin was not pardoned. The debt was paid on the grounds of Christ Jesus going up Calvary's cross and dying for your sin. See, that's why I serve Him. That's why I love Him. That's why my heart's desire is to do His will. Is because of how gracious, how merciful, how loving He is toward me. When God forgave me, He didn't just go, okay, your sin is canceled. You say, well, maybe you're, I, I'm, I'm splitting hairs. I don't think so. There's a difference between paid in full and canceled. Canceled carries with it the idea that it's just overlooked, that it's just, okay, we're, we're just going to accept it, but you know, that's just paid for. That's not what God's done. We need to understand that's not what Christ accomplished on the cross. And the book of Galatians is the book that points all that out. Galatians chapter 1, verse 4 talking about the Lord Jesus, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. He is the great liberator. He is the one who sets us free. Look at Galatians chapter 3. Look at uh, verse 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. 
And that's exactly what the Lord Jesus did. There on Calvary's cross, He has redeemed us from the curse of the law. He is the liberator, the one who sets us free from the law of sin and death. That law being partially the wages of sin is what? Death. That's a law, folks. That's a law. The wages of sin is death. Look at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, starting with verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. By the way, that's not a conditional phrase. That is a descriptive phrase. That is not describing condition. There's no condemnation if you do this, this, and this, and this. That is a descriptive. You are that individual who walks not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. If you're walking after the flesh, guess what? You don't know the Lord Jesus. But look at verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ has made me free from the law of sin and death. Look at Romans 6. Because Galatians gets into this also. And this is how God's Word tells us that we are to consider ourselves. Part of the law of sin and death is that once you are dead, the law no longer has jurisdiction, right? And we've talked about that before. Somebody's going 120 miles an hour down the road, and he runs into the back of a semi-truck, and the police have been chasing him. He robbed a bank. And he is trying to get away from the police, and he's going 120 miles an hour, and he comes to a screeching halt behind the back of a semi-truck, and he dies. Guess what the police do not do? They do not show up and handcuff him and take him off to jail saying, you've got to pay for this. His death has pretty much erased the law's jurisdiction over him. That's, that's a true statement. Well, see, God's Word in Romans chapter 6 tells us in verse 4, Therefore we are buried with Him. Well, start with verse 3. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death. It has to do with the whole doctrine of identification. And this baptism is the spirit baptism of 1 Corinthians 12, not water baptism. You are Verse 4, therefore we are buried with him by baptism unto death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we, could, we should not serve sin. Verse 7, for he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, and you are, you identify with him, if we be dead with Christ, 
then we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dies no more, death hath no more dominion over him. Drop down to verse 11. Likewise, reckon you, reckon you also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the way God sees you. When by faith you come to Christ, trusting in His all-sufficiency, not relying on any good work, not, allowing, not, not depending on anything that you could possibly do, because there's none that, that doeth, there's none righteous. No, not one. There's absolutely no puny human effort. Because our righteousness, according to the book of Isaiah, is like what? Filthy rags. We could never, never satisfy God's holy, righteous requirements. We couldn't keep the law. Couldn't do it. Christ could. When we believed in Christ, we were taken by the Holy Spirit, baptized into Christ, sealed into the day of redemption. That is our standing before a holy, righteous God. That's why I'm going to read this scripture more than, than once today probably because it's just so glorious. But look at Galatians chapter 2, one of my favorite scriptures. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Galatians 2, 20. For I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You know the doctrinal truth that ought to jump out there? That ought to just, just bombard you with feelings of glory and praise? It's that it's the faithfulness of Christ that sustains you, that keeps you saved. It's all about Him. It's all about His work. It's all about what He's done on your account. That, and what we just read in Romans, is about the same time He's writing to the church in Galatia. He's writing to the church in Rome. And He is telling them, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. But the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. What keeps you saved is the faithfulness of Christ Jesus, sealed into the day of redemption. The book of Galatians has been called the Magna Carta of Christian liberty. It contrasts all the way through law and grace. Under the law, man fails. Under grace, God be praised. Man couldn't do it in innocence. You ever notice that? In the garden, it was perfect. Even in innocence, with only two laws, two rules, man couldn't do it. Man couldn't do it during conscience. He couldn't do it. He failed. Under promise, he couldn't do it. Under the law, he couldn't do it. It's only under grace 
only under grace where there is victory. Because see, God knows we can't do it. And so he came up, actually before the foundation of the world, his plan, his program, his purpose has always been to redeem fallen man and make them his heir, joint heir of God. And Galatians' first two chapters defends grace. Chapters 3 and 4 explains grace. Chapters 5 and 6 applies grace. So I encourage you to study in a lot more detail than what we're going to be able to give it today. Because the whole part, the whole thing with Galatians is just how desperately we need God's grace. Because we can't do it under the law. Israel couldn't do it under the law. The body of Christ. If we had to keep the law, do this and be saved, then we would fail miserably. But see, it's not about what we do. It's about what Christ has done. And Father, folks, that's the thing that we stress, that we try to make sure people understand is who we are in Christ. Now, under grace, I want to make sure before we move on, that under grace, that does not mean that anything and everything goes. You understand that, right? For us to go hot diggity, I am saved, I am redeemed, and I, it, I, it's anything and everything. Hey, if that's an attitude you have, then let me tell you, the Spirit of God doesn't dwell in you. That just doesn't dwell in you. Because you need to understand, under grace does not mean anything goes. God's standards haven't changed. His holiness didn't droop. His righteousness hasn't been lowered. It's they are met in Christ. That's the doctrinal truth of it all, is to realize that our standing before our Heavenly Father is all because of what God the Son accomplished on our behalf. And when God the Father looks upon us, He sees us in the perfect Lamb of God, God the Son, sealed in Him. And that's, the, that's what Galatians wants to make sure we understand. We identify with Christ Jesus. This book was written as he was leaving Ephesus on his way to Jerusalem, probably written from Macedonia. And as he went along, he always has to defend his apostleship. He always has to defend his revelation to the Judaizers, those from Jerusalem who, who come and who try to impose legalism, uh, especially circumcision, but they try to impose the law on these Gentile converts, basically declaring the kingdom gospel or the gospel of the circumcision. And, that, and Paul makes sure they understand these Gentile believers were not under that dispensation. These, these Judaizers, those who had been saved under the kingdom program, who understood their marching orders, 
was to go ye therefore into all the world, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. They didn't release, they didn't relinquish that commission so easily. They, they didn't understand that we are under different marching orders. One of the things that Christ commanded them to do was to keep the law of Moses. When Israel rejected, when Israel, when Israel was set aside, God's special revelation of the mystery of Christ in you, the hope of glory, that program changed. God didn't change, but that program changed. And that's why in Act, look at Acts chapter 15. Look at Acts chapter 15. Those were coming up from, from Jerusalem and they were going to try these, they heard about these Gentiles that are coming to know God. They understood that they were, it must be God working in them because look at all these sign gifts that are taking place. Look at all the healings that's taking place. Look at all the activity that's taking place. This is God. Therefore, we've got to come up and we've got to preach the kingdom gospel to them. See, they, their intent, I think, was honorable. I don't think they were evil. I just think they did not understand at this point what God was doing. In Acts chapter 15, verse 1, And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. See, we find out through the Apostle Paul that circumcision avails nothing. Uncircumcision avails nothing. It's from the Apostle Paul that we understand in, in Galatians chapter 5 that if you insist on staying under the law and observing all of those things concerning the law, then you're in big trouble. You can't, you can't do it. It was under grace that God's salvation is offered to all who believe apart from the works of the law. But these guys were coming up to, to Antioch and to, and to Galatia and all these areas, and they're trying to get them to obey the law of Moses, to obey the kingdom gospel. Galatians chapter 2, we have that story from Paul's perspective. Verse 2 of chapter 2. And I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preached unto the Gentiles, but privately them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run and had run in vain. But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And that because of the false brethren, unawares, brought in, who came in privately to spy out our liberty. That's what the book of Galatians is all about, is that liberty that we have in Christ. Galatians 5, Paul is going to exhort them to stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free. But he's going to go on down and say, but just don't use that liberty for an occasion to the flesh. Don't use the liberty you have in Christ. You're not under the law. You're dead to the law because you're in Christ. He's, he died. Payment's been made. So the law no longer has jurisdiction over you. And that's, so stand fast in that liberty. Just don't use it. 
to sin. That's what the whole book of Galatians is all about. Galatians chapter 2, he brings how he went to the apostles. He told them about that that gospel of the uncircumcision and compared that with the gospel of the uncircumcision, two different gospels, not taking the gospel to the circumcision and the gospel to the uncircumcision, uncircumcision, but two different gospels. See, that's what he's talking about in Galatians chapter 1. Look at verse 6. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you unto the grace of Christ unto another gospel. See, those Judaizers were going up there, knocking on their doors and saying, hey, we need to talk to you about this. You've got to keep the law of Moses. You've got to be circumcised. You've got to do this. You've got to do this. You've got to do this. Based on the gospel of the kingdom, based on the gospel of the circumcision, which related to Israel as a nation, and things that God had declared unto Israel to do is that favored nation. Paul asked this church in Galatia, look at verse 3, chapter 3, chapter 3, verse 1. As he's going through all of that, and I know I'm hurrying, but so read it, read it yourself and study it this week, but I want to point this scripture out. Because these Galatians were opening the door uh, and saying, yeah, come on in. And they were listening and their services were starting to change. Their worship was starting to change. They were starting to mix law and grace. And I can't begin to tell you how seriously wrong that is to try to mix law and grace. Galatians 3, verse 1. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who's bewitched you? That you should not obey the truth, wherefore whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. What were they doing? Look at Galatians chapter 4. Look at verse 10. As he's trying to lead them and to understand that gospel of the grace of God. You observe days and months and times and years. See, they were putting themselves, they were putting themselves back under the law. And that's not what they were to do. You know why? Because they would fail again. These Gentile believers would fail under the law. It's got to be grace or man's going to fail. You observe days and months and times and years. I'm afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. He was their teaching. He was their preaching. He was their directing. He was their leading. And these Judaizers were coming up. And I'm going to tell you something. I am convinced that mankind loves to do things that makes himself look better. Man has a tough time accepting that it's all God. Mankind, well, let me do something. Let, let me do, can, can I do just this much? There's no need. Okay, well, can I do this much just to help you out, God? There's no need. 
If you're going to serve, you do it out of gratitude. You do it out of love. You do it because you understand what Christ accomplished on Calvary's cross and that your sins have been removed as far as the east is from the west. You understand that though your sins be as scarlet, they are white as snow. You understand that the sin debt was not canceled. It was eliminated by the one who paid that debt in full. Do you see how that just releases us? How that changes our whole standing before God. You are understanding these Judaizers were coming up. They were trying to persuade these Gentile believers to observe the law. They were, Jeru they were from Jerusalem. They had trusted that Christ was the Messiah. And their goal was to bring the Gentile churches under that messianic program. And the whole point of the mystery that was relieved, revealed to the Apostle Paul was that that program was, had been put in abeyance. It had been canceled for a period of time. Why is this important? Why is the point of Galatians pointing out that we're not under the law, but we're under grace. Why, why does this matter? I think one, it's when you recognize what Galatians teaches, you recognize the distinctiveness of this present dispensation and the message of salvation, and Paul's special revelation. You understand. And you understand why, I didn't finish reading a while ago, I marvel and Galatians 1, 6, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you unto uh, the grace of Christ unto another gospel. This, this, it was another gospel. There was another gospel. There was the gospel of the kingdom. And under the kingdom program, that was a viable, that was something that they had to believe in order to be saved and carry out in order to be saved. And he's saying to these, these Galatians, these Gentile believers, I, I can't believe that you have embraced another gospel, but I got news for you. The majority of churches today embrace another gospel, combining law and grace, telling their members, you've got to do this in order to satisfy God. You have to do this. Why? This is in obedience to what God wants you to do. This is going to make you a better Christian. This is going to make you a, 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 a better church member. Well, it might make you a better church member, but I got news for you. It does not bring you any closer into a relationship with a God who loves you, and He loves you so much, He was willing to pay that debt on Calvary's cross. Verse 7, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ but though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel, any other good news, this was not just talking about bad theology. This, there was another gospel being proclaimed. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. And it was such an important statement that Paul says it again. As we said before, so say I now again. Talk about wanting to make sure you get it. If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that you have received, let him be accursed. 
And that other gospel was they had to be circumcised. They had to obey the law of Moses. The understanding with Israel, that, that under the kingdom program, that was necessary. That repentance, that baptism, water baptism, all of that was part of that relationship and what God required, trusting that Christ was the Messiah. But boy, that changed when Israel rejected and God in his infinite mercy and grace reaches down and he saves the chief of sinners and he gives them a special revelation. You know what that special revelation, you know what the the crust, the depth of that special revelation is. What, when he talked about preaching another gospel, but look at Galatians chapter 2. I'm not sure if I'm even saying that the way I want to say it, but all of a sudden it just hits, it hits me that, that we focus on Galatians 2 verse 16. What an important verse this is. I think this is, this is the central point of the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. Yeah, verse 20 is an important one, and, and it's a favorite verse to a lot of people. I am crucified with Christ. Amen. That means you're dead to sin. Not dead in sin, dead to sin. What a glorious verse that is. But look at verse 16. And you better have the right translation here. Because if you don't have the right translation, you're going to foul this verse up. And you're not going to see it the way God intends you to see it. Verse 16, knowing that a man is not justified or declared righteous by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Not faith in Christ, the faith of Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus, there, uh, Jesus Christ, there, there's the word in. It does belong there, but, and, and your faith in Christ is absolutely important, essential. But the only reason your faith has any merit, the only reason your faith has any substance, the only reason your faith has any meaning is because of the faithfulness of Christ. What a plan of salvation. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. In Romans chapter 3, it talks about by the law is the knowledge of sin. You, want, you, know how you, you know how you know you're a sinner? Because God's law pretty much spelled it out. Do this. You want to satisfy a righteous God? You want to make God happy? Then keep this law. God gave the law 613 laws. This is what he expects you to do. You want to satisfy his righteous requirement? Do this. Folks, we can't even keep the first ten. You know it? We just, it's, we, we can't keep the law. You would fail somewhere along the way, even if you could keep 137 of them. You might think that makes you spiritual, but you'd still fail. 
by the law, according to Romans chapter 3, by the law is the knowledge of sin. And you know what? And the, the law is a blessing from God because it is the law that makes sure we understand we're sinners. And when you understand you're a sinner, you understand you need saving. Amen? See, that's how God works. Why, if God just hadn't given all those do not, do not, do not, why, I'd be a pretty good person. Well, the law is, is a gift from God because it shows you that you're not capable of maintaining His holiness, living up to His holiness. So much, and I've done this at every, every one of these studies. There's so much more to the book of Galatians. Read it. Devour it. Learn it. Study it. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. That was the message to the church in Galatians. Don't put yourself back under the law. The law has been satisfied completely in Christ. Now, by faith, accept that and serve Him willingly. That's, that's God's intent in this present dispensation. We've been redeemed. And I hope this morning that each and every one of you knows Christ Jesus as your Savior. You're not trusting in any work on your behalf. You're not, certainly don't trust in coming to church and holding down one of these pews. That's not going to do it. There's not a work we can do that's going to bring you an inch closer to pacifying God's wrath and His holiness and His righteousness. But praise be to God of all mercy. We have been made complete in Christ. Amen? Let's stand and be dismissed this morning. Father, we just come before you now and we thank you for your amazing goodness. We thank you for your mercy. Father, we thank you for that plan of salvation that just takes us away from what was demanded to what you did on our behalf. Father, we come recognizing that we stand perfect, we stand righteous, we stand holy and separated in Christ. We come recognizing that outside of Christ Jesus, Father, we have no hope. But Father, because we are in Christ, because we've done exactly what you instructed us to do, that was to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And what we were instructed to believe is that Christ died for our sins, was buried, and rose again. And Father, I pray that each and every person here this morning believes that. By faith, they're trusting that your complete work on Calvary's cross and the fact that the tomb is empty was all done on their behalf. Father, because of that belief,
not because of their works. They are sealed into the day of redemption. And Father, once the joy and the realization of that just comes rushing home into our minds, Father, may that just cause us to want to serve you. And we pray these things in Christ's holy and most precious name. Amen.